Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Picture Book Summit. Do you dream of creating picture books that'll change a child's life? Of course you do. Learn how to find your voice at Picture Book Summit, a world-class online conference for picture book authors and illustrators. Join us on Saturday, October 3rd, 2020 for keynotes from our award-winning best-selling lineup, author-illustrator Sophie Blackall, author Lisa Klein-Ransom, and author-illustrator Peter H. Reynolds. Don't delay. Deadline to register is September 30th. Go to picturebooksummit.com slash winner. That's picturebooksummit.com slash winner. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like even at the at the end of this last school year, um, a lot of my doctoral students, they're teachers, okay. and then they were scrambling on top of trying to get their kids with what's happening there. On top of trying to do doctoral work, like of course, I, I was really worried about their health. <laughs> and it looks like I mean Chicago really hasn't made a decision yet, but um, I'm assuming since LA called you know, for yes. online, that they'll probably follow suit. Um, but it's the same thing. Like, how do you manage your job plus your kids all at the same time? This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 620. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Thank you for listening. As always, you can support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner. Lots of good bonus content and a book club there for you to discover. Today, I'm joined by Lynette Mawinney, author of Lulu, The One and Only. There's a lot to be said for the question, what are you? It's a question that dehumanizes the person at which it's directed, but it also reveals a lot of its asker and how they were raised. Lynette wrote the story as a means of showing real realities for biracial kids. To quote Lynette, we constantly want to put people in categories. This conversation, dear listener, is an attempt to get to the bottom of why that is, to acknowledge the humanity in everyone, and to hold room for courageous conversations that seek to create spaces where we preserve the dignity of every kid. If you can't tell, I had a really amazing time talking with Lynette. Please welcome my guest, Lynette Mawinney, author of Lulu, The One and Only. So I am Lynette Mawinney. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And what I actually do for a living is I was an English high school teacher for a number of years. 
But then I got my PhD, and for, I guess this is going into my 14th year, I've been teaching in higher ed. So I teach teachers how to teach. And then I also teach um, current teachers as they're trying to get more credentialing. Um, so I still have my foot in teaching in many different ways, although it looks different than when I started as a high school teacher. Um, but I also get, get the privilege of doing research and scholarship and getting to write books. So that's kind of the exciting addition to being in higher education. I like that. And you write picture books, no less, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I do. You know, it's interesting. Um, I've had this book in my head probably for a good decade, just walking around. And one day during a writing retreat, I just pushed all my other writing aside and I said, I need to get this book out of my head. Um, And I just started writing it and Lulu started to come alive. And what's been really exciting about this, I mean, this is my first picture book. I certainly would hope that there's more to come. Um, but it's been able to engage uh, students and teachers in a different way than some of my other writing has. And it's become more accessible. And people who, you know, if I'm on Facebook and sharing with friends, like, hey, I have a new academic scholar book out, right? Like, they don't really care. But with Lulu, <laughs> they're like, oh, we get this. And yes, I bought five copies. <laughs> so sorry to all the academic scholars out there. Sorry, we're not rushing out to pre order your book. <laughs> yeah, it is okay. I get it. <laughs> but this has just been able to relate and to connect to people in other ways. Like even in my own family, like all the writing that I've done over the last 20 years, like my mother has not read one thing I've written, you know, but <laughs> Lulu, she, she actually got out, went out, bought it and like read it, <laughs> you know, so That's it's wonderful. just able to connect to people in so many different ways. And the stories that have been coming back about Lulu have been just mind-blowing. Um, you know, I think the first one I received was, although Lulu came out in June, there were early copies going out if they ordered through Amazon. Yep. Oh, okay. um, I don't really know why, but it was pretty exciting. So uh, back in May, I got, I got an email from, she's a colleague at another university, but she has two biracial daughters. And... Um, she sent me this email sharing how her oldest daughter, who's a senior who just graduated high school, and she's a younger daughter who's in kindergarten. Um, so a big age difference. And the youngest daughter was all about Lulu, read Lulu every day. Like, this is what I want to hear. And so she got her older sister to read it to her. And her older sister came out and said, you know, I wish I had a book like this growing up because I think I would have been more comfortable in my skin and what it took me to get. And I'm glad that my sister has a book like this for her and her development. It was just like, wow. So, I mean, that was one of many different stories that have been coming back um, from either parents who have biracial kids, even parents who don't have biracial kids. Um, uh, I, I got an email from someone, she has twin boys. They're, they're you know, white young men. And um, how Lulu brought forth this conversation about how they were understanding their privilege in the world. And she's like, they were these boys who were seven years old were having conversations that I wasn't able, able to wrap my head around until I was an adult, um, you know, just from the book. So it's it's been really powerful, uh, way more than any kind of writing I've done. Before. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, you're touching the future when you're writing for children. You're, you're, seeing those ripples and and the way it resonates and also you're also 
you know, this book speaks to adults as well. I had a, a review copy of this book and when uh, Imagination reached out to say, hey, by the way, I wanted to know if you uh, had an eye on, on, on this book, Lulu, the one and only, I was like, oh, Jason, I have already <laughs> had it aside and have been excited to talk about it because it it is that book that I have students asking for stories like this and also students that that will see themselves reflected in the hurtful way we can ask others to identify themselves, the uncomfortable positions we can put others into because of privilege or because it was never modeled for us the way to talk about race. Uh, that racial literacy was not something that that uh, I can say that I grew up with at all. Um, mm -hmm. m much like disability literacy that we were... Uh, th there was a certain amount of you don't talk about that. No, don't talk about that. Don't, that's rude. Don't talk about that. And when we don't talk about it, then it becomes shameful or different or other. And that becomes confusing as well to a child. But here, mm -hmm. I, here I realize we're getting like deep into this book without ever talking about the book. So oh, <laughs> no, no, no. This is, I mean, I'm, I'm ready to go. But for those that have not encountered Lulu, the one and only, would you mind sharing uh, a little bit about what this book is? What's the story? Sure. So the story is about um, Lulu. She is biracial because her mother is Kenyan American and her father is white. And um, she loves her family and um, the beauty of her family. But she often gets asked by strangers this question of what are you? Right. Trying to classify who she is racially. And it's one of those questions that kind of gets under her skin. So her brother Zane, talks, who's older, kind of talks about how he deals with the question by creating what's called a power phrase. So this phrase that's kind of answering the questioning but being empowered um, with who they are. So Zane's you know, power phrase is, um, I'm magic made for my parents. So the book kind of continues with Lulu getting challenged with this question and figuring out what is her power phrase in the end. So, um, and again, being kind of empowered by that and again, empowered by who she is. I love the, the vocabulary that, that term, a power phrase. And I also love that, that Lulu's power phrase is hidden in plain sight. Um, being mm -hmm. the, the title of the book. Um, I've got to say there were, uh, there were some scenes in here. I, we're going to go like, we're going to just jump deep. I, I can't like, let me just talk about how this, this book really blew my mind in a lot of different ways, Lynette, to have a book that, that so upfront confronts ignorant questions that, that mm -hmm. folks ask this assumption that you don't fit into this binary or something of you look, you're, you're supposed to look like your parents. You're supposed to look like this. You're supposed to look like whatever. So that folks ask awful, awful, hurtful things, which I am sure um, are phrases that as folks are reading this book will ring true. Do you mind if I read to you? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Rather than me sort of like talking around. If I, if I read, um, Okay, so Lulu says, being in a part black and part white family seems to confuse people around us. They say a lot of mean things to us because they think we don't fit in. Kids tease Zane, you're the blackest guy on the team. The coach is really your dad? And when I play in the park, the other moms always think mama is my sitter. 
What do you charge? We're looking for one. When I'm out with Daddy, some people think I'm adopted. That's so nice that you gave her a good home. Where did she come from? I, um... I didn't like that part, Lynette. <laughs> <laughs> it's the part that makes people cringe. It is it's... the part that makes people cringe. But is it not also the part that makes people lean in? Or so to have some people feel that cringe resonate in them and think, I've done this. I've done this somehow, some way. Or I've had this done to me. I've been the victim of this somehow or some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it, even even in the first drafts of this, right? Um, the, the part, especially with the mom at the park and, you know, how much do you charge? I was doing read-alouds to friends and they would all go, oh. <laughs> Every time I got to that, and I'm like, yeah, I know that hurts, but that's, that is important to hear because those are, those are real realities, um, you know, for, for biracial children, multiracial children, adopted families, like th- those are real. Um, I remember when I went to college as an undergrad, I joined a biracial group and it was kind of like a therapy group in some ways, but we're all sitting around talking you know, sharing our experiences, and all of us had one of those or multiples of those same experiences that is in the book, you know? But it does make you lean in a little bit. It does make you say, like, whoa, <laughs> there's a lot of truth going here, and, you know, how does this family manage this, or how does Lulu make sense of this? Yeah, and the expert way that you write this, and I don't, I would love to know more about, like, what this book looked like from the beginning draft to where we are now, but just after those pages I read, you you write, and this is this is one where I think for all of those folks that cringed, I bet they can anticipate the following after this text. It, it reads, but being a mix of mama and daddy always brings around that question. I hate that question. And you leave it for a page turn or, or you and and Jenny, the illustrator and and the editors, whomever left it for a page turn for it's a really land and 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 i wonder how many readers cringe at that at those pages before and then know what's coming or if they didn't know what's coming they hear this page of what are you what are you mm-hmm. so what are you what are you and then the way i like to read it or the way i hear it in my brain is uh like what are you <laughs> <laughs> written big across the page but i always get the uh i can picture like if this was a a a movie or tv show all of the people asking you have lulu looking up um frustrated and questioning and reflecting and then you have these other people asking what are you just like spinning above her head um as the as the screen starts to swirl and spiral too um that that page turn that page turn is heavy and powerful to give it a repetition of, of reading it five times to just sit with it and you have to sit with it until you turn the page you confront that phrase until you turn the page and that there's powerful storytelling just in the theater of 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 the reader the actor in that way choosing how long are we going to sit with this and confront this before we turn the page and move forward yeah, and there might even be some self-confrontation there, too, of people turning the page and not expecting that question to be, 
And then being like, oh, gosh, I've said that myself. <laughs> you yeah, know? no doubt. And that's okay. You know, that's what this whole process is about. So, um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> of course. I, I, it was one of those moments of like, let me just tell you how much I read this and was like, quick, grab me a class of children. I need to read this book to my kids. <laughs> um, and I did. We read it virtually because, again, I had a, I was grateful to have a, a a copy a little earlier than the release date. Hey there, book nerds. You know what's even better than hearing bookmakers share stories of how their ideas became the stories you love? Having those stories in your home, your classroom, your library, or your life to be enjoyed over and over. Bookshop.org allows you to purchase your favorite books from the show and support local bookstores while doing it. I even maintain lists of all the books shared each season, so it's easy to find what you're looking for. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop, or use the link in the show notes to find your next favorite story. It also made me think I have a student uh, in particular that I teach, a fourth grader, who as we were working on uh, some racial literacy work in our library with these students and, and talking about windows and mirrors and the work of Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop and diversity in Kidlet and all of these things, mm-hmm. she, throughout the year, we were still in person as we were doing this, so it must have, we must have started around maybe November and then carried it through uh, March before we went on quarantine and then into virtual school, um, that she said, yes, but where are the books with biracial kids, where are they? And we had great conversations of how, aside from picture books, how do authors communicate that? What does that look like? As a, as a reader who wants to see themselves, what, what ways do you want us to see that, that intersectionality in you mirrored in a book? And for you to show us here both of course, that love. I love being part of this family. And I love my mom is this way and wears these black pearl earrings and my name means pearl. Um, but also there's there's this thing that people say to me that is awful. The, 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 the beauty and the struggle at the same time, hand in hand, uh, I think is really a beautiful way of sharing this story. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, and um, it's really interesting, like starting this process after I kind of like brain dumped what I've been thinking, I really decided to go back because there was nothing like this when I was growing up at all. And I started to be like, well, what is out there, you know, now that even does any types of reflections of biracial identity. And there's still not a lot, you know, I think Marisol McDonald series is amazing. Um, then there's like two or three others, but that's it, you know, and it, it's kind of, Bizarre. I mean, there, we already know that there's already, I mean, forget biracial identity. Let's just talk about, you know, like black representation or Latinx representation in children's literature is very, very small. And if it, if it is represented, a lot of times it's written by, it's not, it's not own voices kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, but this, even though biracial children are growing exponentially in this country, right? Um, the, the numbers are exploding. And so compared to, you know, I, I think about my parents getting married in, you know, 1976 <laughs> and it was like 
taboo, you know, for anything to, to today. Uh, it's a very different story. And um, so more and more of these children are coming to these classrooms and yet they're still not books maybe reflecting their experiences. And so um, it becomes even more important or viable. But yet this is a book that's not just for biracial children, right? It's for everyone to kind of understand and take perspective and learn from. Yeah, I, you're, you bringing up the, the own voices reminds me of the, um, the information, the infographic that Lee and Lowe has published. I think it was last updated in 2017, but, but the percentage of books um, that, that have characters that are, that are characters of color or indigenous characters, uh, and then the percentage of, of those books that have come out in a given year over the past 25 years that are written by a person of color or an indigenous author or are, 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 are not. And it's something I think the 2017 data was like 31% of the books were written by authors of color or indigenous yeah. authors. So there's, there's a still a massive representation of, of, uh, you know, diverse characters that is being done by, by white people. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think whenever I read that data or hear you talking now, I think about how we all have a role in that. Much like we all have a role in helping our kids build that racial literacy, to be able to talk about race, to be able to talk about why our skin color is different, but how we are all this the same human race. Um, uh, unpacking that that marriages and relationships and skin color and parents and all the things are are different but different never has to mean wrong right but, but that we have to help build up we we really need Ooh, okay let me just go directly and talk about me because talking <laughs> so so um unspecifically is making me uncomfortable i i remember I remember growing up in the 80s and 90s and and thinking it was something to note when a when a, a kid had a white parent and a black or brown parent or it was something to note when I don't know when you had a same gender parents something like that and thinking why 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 do I need to pay attention to that so much or why do I need to comment on that or know that or whatever. Why is suddenly that my business when nothing else is my business? Um, and I think your book in so many ways is helping to do that work of helping to, to turn that habit of, of seeing people as other and instead recognizing that we all have intersectionalities that, I mean, geez, like, what could you ask me? There are a number of things you could ask me in the... I have, I have been asked the what are you uh, category question in terms of of my sexuality. And mm -hmm. how how do you respond to that? How do you respond? That's not your business. What, what do I need to prove to you? Like, what... It, it enrages me, and that's probably why I can't find the words right now. And Lynette, I apologize. I realize I'm like taking over our conversation. Um, so I'm going to stop no, talking. No, but, but... This, is, this is interesting, right? Because what was interesting in that is the fact that 
sexual orientation is something that you don't necessarily wear or present outside of yourself, right? Correct. Unless unless there's a way that you choose to do so, right? Right, Where signal it through whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, you can signal it through other other things or, you know, but but that's your choice um, to you know, how you want to represent yourself, but it's not like, it's not like skin, right? <laughs> it's like, I can't hide it. And yet we live in this society where, who wants, who want to classify you in these different areas, right? Whether it is race, whether it is sexual orientation, um, you, you know, we, we constantly want to put people in categories because the, the question that usually comes after what are you, uh, especially when I was growing up is, well, well then which do you, which do you most see yourself as? Right. Like I'm supposed to choose. And by choosing now that you can help me, I can help you put me in a certain category. Right. Like because I can't be both, according to some people. So I have to be black or I have to be white. Um, and so the fact that we live in the society, and, 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 I mean, we can get really deep. Right. This is this is coming from a place of how our country was built. <laughs> right. Um it's kind of like this. I, I do this activity with my students when we talk about race. I put this old school picture of um, of slaves up, but I just I just put the picture up and I say, "What's happening in this picture? Who are these people?" Yeah. And you have there's just there's like an older man and an older woman, right? Who are adult uh, black women, and then there's you know some black kids but then there's kids who are they don't know who are considered black because they're biracial the one drop rule right but they see white kids and they're like oh they must be like who they're like the master's kids you know and they have this whole you know story that they start to make up and i'm like no you're just looking at a picture of all slaves and they're like wait what <laughs> so we, we, we've literally been built on this country that that has this concept of race, the one drop rule, the categorization that that has moved out into other areas, right? Such as sexual orientation, um, such as even gendering, right? Like what gender Definitely. are you male or female, but that now we have non-binary and, um, you know, other ways that people can identify themselves. And so um, it, it makes it so complex, but it makes it so uncomfortable that people can't accept the intersectionality. <laughs> You know, that there has to be a category. You can't be in this, in this, you know, mixed space. The, 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 the confronting, well, confronting systemic racism, confronting the, that, that, that you as a person, that I as a person was raised in a system that, that racialized or that continues to racialize situations, people, experiences, um, and what it means to have a consciousness of that and to work against that is something that uh, I think I'm grateful that the more people are waking up to to doing that work and recognizing that that work needs to be done. Um, but just as important to bring us back into your book is is that uncomfortable feeling. I know a lot of the the anti-bias, anti-racist work that that when I got started doing that work, it was from feelings of Oh no, have I said things like this before? Am I this person? And the answer is yes. I am absolutely that person uh, that I have said racist things. I have done racist things and I need to be able to name those things so that I can turn from them when they present themselves again. And so Mm -hmm. in this space, which is like back to the 
beautiful wonder of picture books. You, Lynette, write this picture book that I have read to my five-year-old who gets it when we read this book. And of course she gets it because she's five. And when you're two, three, four, five, you're trying to figure out the world and why things work and how things work the way they do. And it's that space, right? That that's where we start. That's where for me, those rules started to be made up that, that it's something in my brain, some input said, this kind of person is, is better than this kind of person. It's better to be like this, better to do that, better to safer to be around these people or whatever, however, whatever category we want to follow this into. So, so seeing a picture book and engaging children here and a book that a book that here's my like greatest delight about this book, a book that we can read to children. So I'm in front of a class of children. I can be reading this book and that that those those pages of. Of are you the sitter or um, that's so nice of you to, to care for her or whatever can make the adult reading the book feel uncomfortable in a way that the kids potentially don't understand because they haven't been systematized yet or they're not in a home that has that is like the greatest thing to me that that there's an empowering moment where this book speaks to kids and and can say to kids you're on the right track you're Mm -hmm. seeing these things and know that this is this is an experience that people go through or maybe you will go through but you also have that power to disrupt this, to change this, to protect yourself, to protect others. It, that that to me is like, it's just, it, it's, I, I don't know, I'm out of adjectives. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and I know those, those pages are the, the, the heavy, <laughs> the heavy at lean in pages, but the rest of the book, you know, I think it, it shows that, um, I think it is empowering. I think it's uplifting. I think um, it it shows that when these things happen, such as when Lulu um, has a conversation with her, her with her classmate who asks this question, right? Like it, it can be like something that's empowering, but we can also learn to, you know, find things in common that we like to do together and to share those moments. And so, um, I guess it's heavy but light, right? Like it's a it's a small kids aren't going to feel the cringe as, as you said as maybe the adults who are reading it um with some of those pages but in the end at least everyone's getting the message and understands it it's, it's uplifting right it's not it's not like super super heavy conversation about race and i think that's why you know a lot of the reviews that have been coming out about this book has been saying this if you want to have a conversation about race especially what's going on, like use this book because it's also, it, it does it in a real way, but it does it in a very positive, uplifting way too. Um, so it's not like, oh wow, kids are going away feeling horrible about themselves. Oh, not <laughs> at all. <laughs> you also deliver to us one of the greatest lines I have ever heard a child, a character say in a children's book, which is the the first landing when, when, when Zane says, I'm magic made from my parents. I was like, holy cow, stepped away from the book feeling like I have never seen love on the page for a child in a way like that before. That Lynette felt like, holy cow, that author is seeing you and hugging and loving you through the voice of this child. It was, it was beautiful. Thank you. 
I really appreciate that. Oh my gosh! Well, and 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 then Jenny gives you the entire page that we just have this of the spread. We have we have you know one page is devoted to Zane's face smiling with the stars all around the page, and the other page is just that phrase. I'm magic made from my parents. When you read that book again, the theater of that book is that that is a phrase that we call out, that we say with pride and confidence. That's a page that has weight, or a, a phrase that has weight. And so when Lulu arrives at her phrase, of course, equally, it gets that weight. It gets that that feeling and that joy. Um, it's a wonderful payoff that she has the thinking of, like, what is my phrase? What should my phrase be? And she finds it, that that moment of confidence of knowing yourself that that and I'm, I'm almost 40 and I haven't in, in my adult life I've had fleeting moments of knowing myself and then it goes away and then it comes mm-hmm. back sometimes and that's okay too but to, to to remember that there are those moments where the stars shoot out all around you and you know yourself it's that's a magical moment that you've saved in this book so let, let me go back and ask um this story you said when the story came to you you were thinking about about your students right mm-hmm. i was thinking about i was thinking about my students and i was also thinking about myself as a student mm, and yourself um, as a student yeah so when i was growing up but also my you know my students now and that's also meeting like the K to 12 student, but I'm also saying like, I'm thinking about my actual students who are teachers. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and what are some tools that they can have? That's why it was really important for me to work with folks to get a curriculum guide that was free for this book out for teachers, because I wanted this to be a big resource for them and for parents. So it's like a curriculum and activity guide. Um, that they can, you know, access for free because I wanted this to be a tool. Like here, I it's a struggle to find these things. Here's this tool and here are different ways that you can use it in your classroom or at home. Um, you know, when, when COVID was still going on, I kept sending it, you know, people were asking me and I was like, here's the guide, here's the guide, you know, click on this link. You know, you could do some activities with your kids because people are trying to figure out what to do with their sure. kids, you know, with the book. And, and that's why, because I was really thinking also about my, undergraduate my graduate students who are trying to find these resources and they're hard to find so i will make sure that i link that guide in the show notes but when when you came to write this story you you are writing for a young audience did you find that the manuscript for this book came out of you the story came out of you for that young audience was it This is a a loaded phrase to ask it this way. But was it a hard story to write? Did Lulu just speak her story to you? What was the process of of, of finding and tuning this story like for you? It was scarily easily. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, that that I'm like, I've been trying to do other drafts of different children's books now, but it's just not coming as easy because I think she's been in my head for 10 years. But it's been so refined. Um. So it, it literally came out. I, I had friends, the, the first friends I was telling you that I was doing a reading aloud with. From the time it came out of my head to the time I sent it off to Imagination Press, it was only like two weeks. No kidding. Two yeah. weeks, and, Lynette? Oh, my word. I know. And my friends were like, that makes no sense. <laughs> I'm like, but it doesn't. But she's, 
been in my head, you know, for so long that I think these other ones that I've been drafting and walking away from and drafting and walking away from have been, you know, it's been a year for one of them. Um, It's just not the same, but uh, I think I've just been living with Lulu for so long in my head. And you know, sometimes that's what you have to do, isn't it? I'm sorry, I cut Mm -hmm. you off. I, I apologize. Go ahead. Oh, no, I just said it, and that's why it just spilled out on the pages. But, yeah, I think that is part of the process. Part part of writing, you know, what I used to teach high school students is, used to say, like, part of writing is really in your head. Like, when you're doing those thinking or outlining in your head, like, that's still that's still the writing process. I have a friend that you says know? pre-writing – is that the way she says it? Pre-writing is writing. Mm-hmm. That anything yeah. you do – so I'm always – remember, I used to have a, a chart that I would keep track on my wall – um, I would give myself a star every time that I wrote, trying to build up the habit of writing daily, right? Um, and I had to remind myself from there, though, that when you're working on a news story idea or, or a revision or whatever, that even when you just go for a walk to sit with and think about and let your brain, your subconscious work through stuff, that's part of writing. And, and it sounds like in that way, Lulu was just walking with you for those years knowing that it wasn't it wasn't her time for her story to be told yet and and now it is but i have another in, uh, another question i'm curious about now you said that two weeks and then you like handed off to imagination did you were you aware of them to begin with was was that a company you had a a publishing house you had a, a focus on why imagination press and this is coming from a person who is a big fan of Imagination Press. <laughs> yeah. So a couple years ago, I, I go for my professional conference. There's a, a conference called the American Educational Research Association, um, AERA for short, and it's oh. massive. And they always have these massive book exhibits. And that year, um, APA, you know, the American Psychological yep. Association is always there because that's the whole like nerd academic side. But that year, they also had the Imagination Press side of the house. And I was like, whoa, what is this? So I stopped and I, and I talked to the woman who was at the table. And she's like, yeah, we, we do books that, you know, tell lessons and all this other stuff. And and I'm like, well, do you take – because, again, I had it Lulu in my head for so long. And, and I'm like, do you take, um, you know, unsolicited manuscripts? And stuff? She, she's like, absolutely. And I said, okay. And so they were they were my focus from the beginning. So even though it was like three years later that I finally sent something off to them, um, they were always my focus. Uh, once I found them out, I started buying their books. I was like, these are great. Um, so that 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 was it. And, and I have to – I'm so grateful that they took Lulu because, again, it's a topic that's not comfortable. <laughs> um, but they were willing to go out on a limb and publish her. And so I'm, I am very grateful for that. And they've been doing a beautiful job. I mean, your illustrator, um, Jenny Poe, did did gorgeous work. I, I think that Amazing. They're, yeah. yeah, they're turning around really, really beautiful books. And I love too that. Let me flip to it just so I, I communicate it right about the um, the back matter you have in this book. The author's note that you included, and then these little moments, these little talk about points about talking about race and listening and working on developing self love is another quality that 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 is that I always associate with imagination press this author's note or think about either written by the author or by uh, another practicing uh, child psychologist or someone like that. um, That just gives, it it gives another beat 
to the story. You can read it or, or don't have to, but it it allows, like you were saying with your teaching guide as well, it allows for more people to come in and it allows for greater language acquisition for how you talk about whatever the subject is that, that is being covered in, in whatever book, but in your case, to be able to talk about race and biracial identity. Yeah, and that's, you know, the great thing about it. It was interesting when I originally wrote the draft, it was like a big, there was a huge section in the end. You know, I had like resources and all this other stuff. Um, and Imagination Press was like, we have a, we kind of foresee this actually doing, you know, um, being a little bit more in the trade world. So, but we still want that essence of what Imagination Press does. So like take those points and kind of truncate them down to a page um, so they can, you know, help speak to parents or guardians or teachers or whoever, you know, is reading the book. Um, some of these really important points. Beautiful. And some of those are, again, are coming from, you know, I'll, I'll get very personal here from my own experience, you know, although my mom, so my, my, it's funny, people think like my makeup of family is the same as Lulu's, but it's not. <laughs> so my mom, my mom's white and, and, um, my father's black and, uh, but I, I kind of just grew up with my mom. They got divorced when I was young and still to this day, because there's some tensions around this, like we my mom doesn't talk about race, doesn't like to talk about race. Um, and so that actually, I think in terms of my development, um, was pretty hard. And so that's why it was important for me to have that point in there of whatever type of makeup family you are, it's important to have these conversations. These, um, you know, Greg Singleton, uh, calls them courageous conversations, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're, they're just so critical, whether it's at home or in a classroom, and, there, and I think it's probably why a lot of my academic work is about <laughs> race, and I'm a, like a scholar of race. So, um, uh, you know, so just that point of being, imagination press, being able to let me say those points was amazing. And, you know, it, that is the takeaway. You have to, all families have to talk about these things. It's so critical. Um, and then it helps with children's development, children's realities, children's being able to talk their authentic truths right? And to work through that. I found just a note about um, Jenny's illustrations. I realized that we, we've come nearly to the end of our talk and, I, and and haven't spent a great deal talking about this beautiful mixed media art that she's done, but also mm -hmm. that she she has some really beautiful moments that, well, like I, I said, I love those moments when she gives Zane and Lulu full pages to say their phrases, their power phrases. Those moments are so wonderful. And the, the image of the family portrait that accompanies the, um, the next line of, I hate that question, but the family portrait reads, everyone else might be confused, but I'm not. I love our family. That beautiful framing of, of their picture and that strong affirmation yeah. comes just after, uh, the page where, where, uh, the the what do you charge what are you looking for uh we're looking for one page and on that page i thought this was really um an, an interesting thing for for readers to draw the connection that that we have a lot of white characters or white presenting people asking those questions but we also have on the same page um you have like uh, on this page at the park um, the girl, the woman that, that mom is talking to, uh, her skin complexion seems to match that of the father's on the following page. And I think to to be showing uh, 
her smiling, like asking this question of like, hey, so what do you charge? I'm really well-meaning here. And then to have the dad showing the, the concerned face along with mom's concerned face. I just, there were, there were little notes like that, that I saw Jenny working hard to communicate through, through emotion and facial expressions so that, that as we're reading along these words, we're also, we're also, I hope learning to read people's faces, learning to read situations. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's also part of, of this work is, is understanding how we are in relationship to one another. And is this a question that, that others, somebody that's going to make somebody else feel uncomfortable? Would it make me feel uncomfortable? I think that the way that she and your words work hand in hand throughout this book do a lot to, to see your readers. Yeah. And she, and I have to, you know, thank Jenny in so many ways because there are a lot of times where I was like, oh, here's some feedback, here's some feedback that I kept sending to the editor. You know, one of it was on the facial stuff and really making sure that we get that right. And the other was also on who's asking that question, because even the kids in the cafeteria and stuff, making sure that it's a variety of different um, racial representations, because the question comes from everybody. Um, right. So it's not just a, a one sided question. Everybody asks that question. And being very intentional about that. And she was just so great with any feedback that, you know, I give the editor, um, Jenny would take it and run with it. And she's just, you know, I'm, I'm truly grateful for how she brought Lulu alive. That's wonderful. I, I, I'm glad that you both made the book you did together. And I'm so grateful that it is exactly what book it is. And to hear that it's reaching the readers and that they are reaching back out to you is pure joy. Congratulations again on on your release, Lynette. Thank you. Thank you again, and thank you for having me. This oh. has been a wonderful, deep, yet uplifting conversation. I, I don't want it. it to end, but I <laughs> but my 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 the best out for this always is to just end with our readers. So I want to give you a chance to speak directly to them. Lynette, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yes, it's never be afraid to be yourself and know that you are beautiful. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron, and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, Word of mouth or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. 
That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.